Hello and welcome to the Podwell Travelled. I'm Stephen Scarfield, the travel editor here at 7 West Media WA, and I'm with Moans Johansson, who's travel writer, photographer, and just back from Asia. So, of course, Moans, we're, we're one hop to Singapore, five hours to Singapore from where we're based in Perth, um, but that wasn't really the, the object of the exercise, was it? No, no, not really on this occasion. Um, we we often talk about dual destination holidays, and uh, you know we we certainly do it a lot when we travel to Europe or perhaps South America or something like that. We don't uh, uh, sort of generally speaking just stick to one country. We tend to hop hop around from from one to another, uh, but it, but it's perhaps less common here on our doorstep in Southeast Asia, for example. Um, I think, uh, you know, many of us will head up to Bali or Singapore or something like that and then stay there, Thailand even, uh, and perhaps not visit any of the neighboring countries, which uh, we have been talking a little bit about and we kind of think that's, uh, that's a shame, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of different uh, experiences to be had, uh, different cultures and different people, you know. They all make for a, for a good holiday and uh, you know certainly the contrast uh, in I experienced in this recent trip up to Singapore and uh, onto Cambodia uh, just about couldn't be greater it's great well contrast is the word isn't it because you've I suppose in Singapore is is what we imagine it to be which is you know efficient and very modern and um, Cambodia by comparison is probably more um you know, it's, it's a more well, it's a developing, regional, developing yeah, experience. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, Singapore is that sort of, uh, you know, it's an exciting destination in its own right. You know, as you said, it's clean and safe and well-functioning and so on. Uh, but there's still a lot of, uh, you know, great things to experience. You can still, you know, uh, it's it's not all about the, the, the big you know, high-rise buildings and, and the, the flash shopping malls and so on, you can still get a, a feel for, for real Asia, if I can put it that way, which is, uh, you know, the little enclaves like uh, Chinatown and Little India and the Arab Quarter and that sort of stuff. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, it's, I so, so well, it's it, not better or worse, is it? It's just different. You know, the two, yeah, two destinations you've yeah. chosen are different. So you moved around with Singapore Airlines, is that the way? Yes, exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, they're, to me, personally, I, I always find them really reliable and good to go with. I mean, when I head back to see my family in Denmark, I often go through Singapore uh, just because it's, I, I like that, you know, five hours to Singapore, less than five hours to Singapore, and then you have a bit of a break and then. Uh, from there on, it's, it's just one longer haul, uh, and that kind of suits me. But uh, you know, in particular, when you're when you're like I did just now, uh, visiting sort of other Southeast Asian countries, uh, it, it's just a, such a perfect springboard. You know, uh, Singapore is on the same time zone as us, so it's as I said, less than five hours up there. Uh, it's good connections daily um, and you know like likewise onwards from there uh, through Changi Airport you can just just about get to anywhere in the world and uh, you know from from Changi to uh, Siem Reap in Cambodia uh, which was a leg I did uh, is, is less than 
two hours and there's wow. a one hour time difference. Wow. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's a nice connection. Uh, so yeah. The, so the you, hour. Yeah. Sorry. So you, you stayed, I think at Sentosa in Singapore. Yes, yes, I did, and th- and that's a bit of a different experience. I haven't actually stayed at Santosa before. Uh, you know, Santosa, for those who don't know, is sort of like the uh, Singaporean holiday uh, island, if you like. Uh, but I mean, it's really just a hop, skip, and a jump, jump uh, across across the water, um, and uh, uh, you can take you know either the uh, there's a monorail that go over there, or there's a uh, you know there's a causeway uh, that that heads across there, and there's also uh, the cable car. So it's a it's a it's a nice destination, but it's different from Singapore itself because it is sort of developed specifically as a as a holiday destination. So you know there's uh, there's some quite nice beaches, and there's uh, you know all kinds of uh, Entertainment and uh, activities you can you can do there. You know that they've got things like uh, uh, what's it called the um, Universal Studios yeah. uh, theme park there, and uh, you know fantastic aquarium. There's great exhibitions. There's light shows at night. There's uh, you know fun rides and activities for sort of people who are into sort of more. Uh, Active things, so there's a huge range of stuff to do there. The last, you know, the last time I stayed at Sentosa, I'd made appointments. I'd planned to go over, you know, into old part of Singapore and do some meetings, see some things, and I never got over there. You know, it was just I was I was in my own little world in Sentosa, really busy. Lots of, as you say, lots of things to do. The museum there is a real favourite of mine, and uh, I just didn't even I didn't get off Sentosa. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, there really is a, there really is so much to do, and as you mentioned, you know the museum is interesting. There's a Point Siloso. Um, it, it was a sort of military base back in the day. You know when the British were sort of uh, ruling in Singapore, and uh, you know that Sentosa was considered sort of a, a good place to have a, uh, a military base because you know they felt they could protect uh, invaders from the you know coming from the Straits of Singapore uh, so there's a lot of history uh, in in that sense from uh, you know at, at Fort Siloso as it's called um, so that's a, another interesting thing so there's really there really is something for everyone there mm. and and I think you know um, it's like Singapore is not a big place by any stretch of the imagination. And I went uh, one evening, I went into uh, Clark Key just to have a, a meal in there and just uh, to check out, you know, that sort of vibrant uh, riverside precinct in, in the city itself. And uh, from when I stepped outside my hotel, it uh, in, in less than 15 minutes, you're, you're in the centre of town, you know, mm-hmm. using the MRT and the monorail. So... That you've shamed, yeah. you shame me now because you did get off the island. So you're obviously <laughs> far more active than I am. <laughs> so yeah. from Singapore, you then fly on this, as you say, less than two hours to Siem Reap, which of course is uh, known for Angkor Wat, tem- the temples there, uh, uh, above all else, I suppose. So was that a big thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had been there before about probably 15 years ago um, and it's certainly uh, it's changed a lot of course uh, 
the whole archaeological park there, Angkor Archaeological Park, is you know much the same. I think uh, it, it's you know certainly my impression was that you know all the the surrounding sort of uh, parklands and that are looking you know a lot better than what they did. 15 years ago um, so it's a, it's quite a, a sort of really pleasant place to be and it's only you know a, a 10 minute tuk tuk drive out from uh, from the center of Siem Reap so it's uh, it's really nice and close and you can spend literally days there looking at at all the the different uh, temples and shrines and so on um, I did a little tour sort of uh, a sort of half day tour, I guess, but I managed to sort of see uh, Angkor Wat, the main temple itself, uh, uh, Angkor Thom, the, the the old town, I guess, uh, you know, where the Bayon Temple is the, uh, the 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 center of, of which the Bayon Temple is the center of, should I say? Um, and uh, you know, uh, I sort of managed to explore a few of the. The other lesser lesser known temples as well, um, and had a really good day doing it. Uh, so it's a it's a super interesting place to sort of mooch around. That's for sure. Yeah, it is. I think that's such an important point that most you know most people who haven't visited think of Angkor Wat as, as that main temple, but as you say, it's a whole archaeological park just full of them, um, and they yeah, they do yeah. vary. You know, they're they're varied in style and uh, features, aren't they? Yeah, I, I must. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of them uh, they're mostly Buddhist uh, temples, but uh, you know they have had some of them. Angkor Wat, for example, I think was uh, originally a Hindu temple uh, in you know when it was first made. So, uh, so they have in different and interesting histories. Um, and of course, then there's uh, I think my favourite one was uh, Tar Prom. Which is like uh, uh, the the one. Those of you who can remember Lara Croft and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or something like that. One of those movies, anyway, where you know there's a famous scene outside one of these uh, uh, temples uh, there, where you know the the forest have virtually taken over the 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 temple and is pulling it apart. You know, you got these giant fig trees that are that are pushing, you know, this magnificent stonework uh, apart. And it's quite a sight seeing these these trees sort of uh, basically taking over, taking back their place, <laughs> I yeah. guess you could say. Well, that that really is the sort of story of the place as well, isn't it? There's, it was overgrown and, I mean, not exactly, um, you know, well, more or less forgotten except by some locals, of course, and mm. uh, reopened up as an archaeological site, you know, so... The Indiana Jones story is, is is not far removed from this one either. No, no. Well, my my favourite actually is the Bayon Temple, Angkor Tom, the Bayon Temple, because they're all smiling. Yeah, the exactly. Smiling There's all these, these magnificent faces. Yeah, that, uh, huge points. smiling faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a it's a very picturesque place place there, and and it's uh, again a super interesting place to to sort of rummage around because uh, a lot of that has sort of crumbled as well and uh, sort of in parts of the surrounds there's there's uh, you know piles and piles of you know 
boulder stones mm. that, uh, you know, it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle we're trying to put together again, yeah. you know. So it's, uh, I mean, that's, from memory, that's a 12th century temple, and I think there's 30, nearly 40 stone houses still sort of visible there, temple houses around that too. So, mm, yeah, so, yeah. so once again, for, for people listening who haven't been there, there's, there's more than just a temple to see. There's a whole kind of civilization yeah. to be glimpsed. And, and uh, you know, for those who are interested in the sort of uh, archaeology of it, you know, and, and the work that's going on, there, there's several places around where, you know, obviously there's restoration and, and maintenance going on. So you can you can kind of see how they, they go about that as well, mm. which is uh, another interesting aspect to it. Yeah, and Siem Reap itself is... is- it's quite, you know, I mean, I've been going there for quite a long time and it's really developed. It's it's grown into quite a place in its own right, I think, now. Yeah, yeah, that's a lovely place, I think. You know, it's, uh, you know, it, it, certainly since I was there last, it's uh, it's developed a lot. You know, there's a lot more shops and uh, and so on and, and probably also, fair to say, better hotels than there was uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but... Uh, it's still got that sort of real character about it. You know, there's lots of uh, markets and, uh, you know, uh, street side uh, tuk-tuk cafes and so on that, that sort of pop up in the evenings and, you know, families sit on these, uh, you know, tiny plastic chairs alongside the river and have a family dinner and that sort of stuff. Uh, it's it's just an interesting place to, to go around and then, of course, up in the centre of town, uh, those who may have been there, well, I mean, it's always been called Pub Street, I think, uh, as far back as I can, I can remember, but uh, Pub Street is now a sort of really sort of quite a modern and vibrant sort of uh, fun place to go if you're going out for a drink or two at night and, uh, uh, you know, they've got good restaurants, uh, good entertainment, there's lots of... Uh, music, live music, karaoke, all kinds of things going on there. So that's a, an interesting place to to spend an evening as well. Yeah, well, I can hear in everything you're saying that you found the contrast you were looking for in uh, in this. You know, what for us from Perth is a can be a nice short trip. You know, a week or ten, well, ten days from Perth to Singapore, Siem Reap, getting that contrast between Singapore and and Cambodia is really an interesting thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, it, you know, uh, th- there's lots of other opportunities, you know, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, and, uh, you know, uh, Myanmar and so on. You know, there's lots of opportunities uh, just within the same striking distance from, from Singapore, for example. Mm, yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, good time of year. We're mid-year now in June. <laughs> Yeah, it's just coming into the uh, to the the wet season up there. So it was, uh, I have to say, uh, in particular in Cambodia, quite humid. Mm. But uh, so you just do need to bear that in mind. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. I didn't find it too bad in particular yeah. when you were I mean, moving I mean, around in tuk tuks and so on. You know, I mean, you, most you these- sort of. Tropical rainforest places, I mean, they are warm and quite often humid all year, really. So, 
And it's good for your skin. It cleanses, it cleans out the pores and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that. So, yeah. well, look, okay. Well, we'll move into into our next subject now, which is uh, by contrast, I suppose. Um, we're in Perth, as we keep saying, and uh, it seems to me that just about everybody's wearing a puffer jacket in, uh, in yeah. Perth winter. It's it's become the de rigueur item, particularly for travellers, of course. Uh, light, easy to pack. Um, yeah, you've got one. Yeah. Oh, I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I understand you've been looking into uh, the Patagonia uh, outdoor wear in particular because they're doing some uh, interesting things with uh, sort of recycling ghost nets and using that in some of the outdoor wear. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, Patagonia as a, as a brand has been such an interesting story for, well, for, you know, most of my working life, actually. Um, it's just, as a company, it's just had its 50th anniversary. And, you know, quite famously, it was started by uh, a climber, uh, Yvonne Chouinard, who couldn't find the pitons that he wanted, couldn't find some of the climbing gear he wanted and started making them, which is not an unfamiliar story, I suppose, with, with some companies. We've we've seen that in outdoor companies, you know, in other places. But uh, Yvonne set up this company, Patagonia, and what's always impressed me has been their ethical position. That there's always been an ethics centre as part of the business, and they've always given away 1% of their turnover uh, to charities. And in the very early days, I actually did a number of stories because the story then was that their managers were sent out to find the projects that they wanted to commit to. So they weren't just sort of you know, taking applications, as it were. Uh, it was much more proactive. And I guess I've watched that progress into uh, this this interesting, well, complete change in the company where, firstly, um, as you say, they've launched a line called Net Plus. And these are items include, including puffer jacket and puffer vests, um, which are made from recycled fishing nets. So they have a partner called Burio who collects uh, fishing nets. Uh, they're based in South America. And the nets then, are, you know, fishing nets are pretty nasty things. The mm, yeah. WWF reckons that, you know, I mean, nets can last between 400 and 600 years in water because they're polypropylene, you know, polyethylene and nylon, this polyamide plastic. Um, and we've all, I'm sure we've all picked up or seen bits of fishing net along the shoreline. And it's, mm, it's, it's yeah. tough as, you know, it just doesn't break down. And of course, in an oceanic sense, uh, one of the great disasters that happens is, as you say, ghost nets, this phrase where nets are cast adrift or left left in the oceans and they basically just carry on mowing the oceans for, you know, can be hundreds of years, as I've said. So they just drift around catching everything that's that's before them. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. a nightmare. Um, so Patagonians say are, are, are partnering with uh, Burio and they're collecting these nets. The nets are chopped, uh, melted, uh, and then they create into thread, into weave, and they um, and they're woven into new fabrics, and they're making this whole range. In fact, I'm just looking at they've got caps and shorts and all sorts made out of recycled fishing nets, which is just uh, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's a fantastic, it's a great idea. Yeah, it's mm. it's yeah. come at a weird moment too, because Patagonia. So Yvonne Chouinard has um, 
I mean, the story has been that he's he's given away the company, so, but in actual fact, it's a very complicated process that they've gone through. So rather than selling the company as he's come to in his, into his eighties and you know sort of retirement, rather than selling the company or floating it or doing anything else with it, he's they've set up a, a whole new ownership structure, and he's given it to that. So as as he says, the only shareholder now is the Earth. So. In I guess in in layman's language, it's almost an, a non-profit. You know, the door the profits go back into these other projects. So it's a massive company with billions of dollars of turnover, and um, yeah. you know, worth billions of dollars. And oh, that's a nice story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting story. In fact, Moans, because it's it's way beyond my uh, capacity. I we actually got our colleagues at Bloomberg, the um, business colleagues there, to look into exactly how this ownership was set up because it's, and I use the word carefully, it is unique. So they've sort of established a new form of ownership of companies um, and a new structure which has sort of been embedded now in uh, American law, which is not an easy thing. So they've kind of also opened the doorway for, it's not gifting and it's um, it's not setting up a, um, you know, a charitable um, business as such, so it's, it is a new form of ownership. So we've, I've also got our colleagues there to do a story about that, and they've gone into specifics because I do think I mean a lot of our audience, a lot of our readers are are business people, and and you know the actual structure of that I think is very interesting to see the detail because you know mm, it does look forward op- to reading that, yeah, yeah it does it well it opens a doorway to other you know other people to use this mechanism that's now been developed so. Yeah, that's mm. pretty exciting. Yeah, so, super um, interesting. Yeah, so it, it is, it is. Uh, it's interesting, I was just looking at, um, I mean, there's another brand I like very much, it's Heli Hansen, which is a Norwegian brand. And I see now they use their puffer jackets, uh, what they call mono material, so that the, mm. the outer shell and the lining are all made from the same material because it's much, uh, much easier to recycle um clothing items like that multi-layered clothing items if they are all the same material it's when yeah, you've got to take yeah. them all apart that you know um they become mm. less less easy or less possible to recycle i suppose so right yeah right, yeah and i noticed um uh, oh, i think i've well i've definitely written about it as well uh, in in the certain mobile phones you know the recycling of uh, fishing nets is also a a, a big thing. Uh, I think it's Samsung that uh, that use uh, fish, fishing net or ghost nets. Uh, the materials from them to to you know uh, manufacture some of the the plastic. Uh, uh, what what would you call? It? I mean, plastic uh, that's required inside right. the phone as okay. such. You know, so yeah. yeah I mean, they've. Uh, have also gone down that path, and I think the more more uh, you know manufacturers across the board that can do that, the better. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reading some words here that uh, Yvonne Chouinard uh, has has written himself. He started that company in 1973, and um, you know it's been valued at three billion dollars. So what he's done is pretty significant. And he writes, "The climate crisis is an existential existential threat." Um, Carbon neutral is not enough. Purchasing offsets to get a carbon neutral doesn't erase the footprint we create. It won't save us in the long run. Our goal was to cut emissions from our owned and operated stores, offices, and distribution centers. 
Um, so now the bulk of their emissions have, have been cut. And this, he's making the point that uh, off, offsetting emissions isn't the same as not creating emissions. So that's mm. where they're mm. working towards. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, that's great. So yeah, oh, super I'm good. Tucked up in my uh, puffer jacket this morning, uh, thinking yeah, about yeah. your hot and steamy time in Cambodia. What a in, we've in had Cambodia, great, yeah. What a contrast. Con- yeah. <laughs> we've had a great contrast this morning on the show. So yeah. um, the stories that we've been talking about are uh, all published uh, in the West Australian on Saturdays in the Travel Supplement on Saturdays. And in the Sunday time on Sundays, and Moans has a lot of stories. You know, uh, he's he's already been filing these stories, and I've just been looking through. So you can expect a dozen stories out of that that trip, one way and another. Um, the story on Patagonia is actually published this weekend, which is uh, June the seventeenth in Saturday's copy of uh, Travel in the West Australian. But of course, they all go online at thewest.com.au forward slash travel. Um, we also have some other content up on westtravelclub.com.au. Uh, we've just, last week, uh, through eTravel, which is our weekly newsletter, which goes out on Wednesday, we launched our Coach Days, which Moans and I are joined by Grady Brand, who's a WA landscape specialist and wildflower specialist here in Western Australia. Uh, we launched those last Wednesday, as I say, and they were in, the, in print on Saturday, Sunday, and they'd sold out on Monday, so... Uh, anyone interested and who's local to us here, do by all means go to westtravelclub.com.au forward slash join. All we ask for is your first name, your second name and your email address and you'll get to hear about those things first because if you wait for Saturday or Sunday's print or for the stories to go online, you may be too late. So uh, that's how that played out. They're full. Moans. They're very very popular and You're looking on. forward to it again. Yeah, yeah it'd be great. Grady's yeah. on the the flora and the uh, landscape. Moans is on photography with phones in particular, photography in general. And I'm just hanging around. And uh, <laughs> we're, do, we're doing three days of that and uh, looking forward to it. be great. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay, mate. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll talk uh, again next week. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers, Moans. Thanks. <laughs>